Hi, I'm Beck, and this is the Be Soulful Podcast, a place where we dive into deep conversations with vulnerability and authenticity to inspire you to ask the more deeper and meaningful questions in your own life. Welcome to the Be Soulful Podcast. My guest today is the beautiful Sue Kazas. For those of you not familiar with Sue, she is the first female CEO of State Schools Relief a Victorian-based not-for-profit organisation that supports the needs of financially disadvantaged school students. Since its inception in 1930, 88 years down the track in 2018, Saw State Schools Relief appoints Sue as their first female CEO, and the success Sue has driven is proven in her passion for young people and results. But the biggest thing you will learn about Sue is not her title, but her journey and ability to share her vulnerabilities and just what a genuinely beautiful human she is. Sue does not identify as her title, nor does she think she is better than anyone. And in fact, one of her personal missions is to be the example that other women too can achieve becoming a CEO, a leader, or whatever your aspirations are with a little more faith in your abilities and being okay with not knowing everything, but knowing you can learn, and that's what it's about. In my personal opinion, Sue is very special and a rare find, and what makes her so special is her humble nature, her ability to be genuine with every person she meets, and a warmth and caring energy that you don't often see in people in higher-level roles. And as you will hear us say, the way she is at home is exactly the way she is at work. It really is my pleasure to welcome Sue to the Be Soulful podcast today. Welcome, Sue. Welcome to today's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and graciously giving us your time for a busy, busy lady. My absolute pleasure. <laughs> um, look, so Very happy to be here. Great. Thank you. I've given the listeners a bit of a background about you and who you are. Um, so can you tell us who, who's Sue? Who's Sue? Who is Sue? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I guess I'm the person that I've always been, someone who is uh, very passionate and values-driven. So my my career, my uh, whole entire life has been very much governed by values. And so in terms of where I'm at and what I do, it's all about um, my career is always centered around young people. So um, I trained to be a teacher, but I never taught because oh, cool. when I was uh, graduating, uh, it was at the time when Kenneth was shutting down all of the state schools. So I couldn't um. actually get a job. So I went off and did a variety of different things. Uh, but then I went back into um, working for not-for-profits and uh, charities and education. And my, my main driver has always been that there are young people at the end of whatever I do, because if there aren't, I'm not really interested. It doesn't fuel my passion. And if I'm not passionate, I'm really disinterested and destructive. So um, that's who I am. I'm someone who's who's got to be engaged on a passionate level, on a values trip. Like it's not about money for me. I don't care. It's all about what I'm doing, making a difference and that I'm passionate about it. And it, once I stop being passionate, I, I can't do it anymore. I really love that. And I have to say, Sue, I did meet you and I've only met you once um, a few years ago, but you made such an impact on me and you came across so gracious and kind. Um, 
for someone at, at your level, you're, you're a CEO. Um, and I remember that first time meeting with you and sitting down with you and everything that you've just said, um, I can say is absolutely authentically true about who you are from, from my interactions with you. You know, I've kind of stayed in contact with you, you know, via professional networks. Um, and that's th- absolutely true. Um, but I have to ask, where does that, so, you know, your values driven, which is, which I really admire, where does that come from? So you said at the end of it, it always has to be about young people. Where did that come from for you, Sue? Yeah, that's a, that's also a really good question, I guess, partly from my upbringing. So mm-hmm. being the parents, and not that it, this is an unusual story at all, it's not, but being the parent of a migrant, um, you know, migrants, I guess, um, growing up with, you know, not having, I mean, always having what we needed. So there's, it wasn't that we didn't, but never having a lot. So, and never really, you know, never being in that sort of, privileged domain so always having a real appreciation for um, people who are struggling people who work hard and um, yeah just always being very down to earth sort of feeling sometimes feeling like the other you know like Mm -hmm. um, back when I went to school in the 70s um, you know there was a bit of that sort of um, there was a little bit of of racism as well so having experienced Mm -hmm. a bit of that as well so I've got a real understanding and feel for people who perhaps having to encountered those kinds of difficulties along the way. Yeah. And I think young people as well. I think um, for me, um, young people, I think education is key. So it's about getting young people in education, getting them to engage in some way or another. I don't mean academically, but in, in some, you know, whether that's a trade or, but just getting young people to be able to do something to make a difference to their lives is really important. So I think it comes from my background and also, you know, seeing my parents, my mother who wanted to be a teacher but was never afforded that opportunity in her home country and so um and that she would have loved to be a teacher so I never take anything for granted I think you know looking around and seeing what we've got I'm very very grateful for what I have as well that's amazing um and and look and I can can relate to a little bit of your story so my my parents um you know are, are migrants as well um and I come from a mixed background and um, I grew up in a lower socioeconomic um, demographic area. You know, at the time, I remember when my dad bought our <laughs> bought our house, he had no idea that the area that we lived in was was the area that it was. So he was, um, you know, he was really surprised, and you know, learned really quickly that where we lived was like one of the worst parts. <laughs> One of the worst areas that you could live in. Um, and look, my father's Indian. So, you know, from coming from an Indian background, he was absolutely mortified because everything is based on status and, you know, those sorts of things. So, um, but look, you know, he gave us a secure home, but look, I can understand, you know, you know, I didn't go to, you know, the, you know, five-star schools and the top private schools. So look, I really um, can re- can relate to what you're saying. Um, so for, for you, so now, Sue, so were you born in Australia? You were born here or you came yes, over? I was. You, you were born here. Wow. Now, no, did you? I was born here. You were born here, yeah. Did your parents speak English? <laughs> that's that's a funny question too. They 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 didn't really. I mean, very broken English. So I, I got in the habit, I was quite entre- entrepreneurial, so I got in the habit of writing my own notes um, <laughs> to excuse myself from classes that I didn't want to go to. So I, I learned the advantages of having parents who couldn't write English and, and I, I took full advantage of it. I got out of myself out of all the sporting classes. I got out of all sorts of things and um, apparently, you know, they never cottoned onto it. So I was quite... Um, <laughs> 
I was quite entrepreneurial at a very young age. <laughs> wow. Wow. So um, gr- growing up for you, Sue, were you, were you that child that had to, um, you know, do all of the, you know, when letters came to the home, you know, read the mail and, you know, interpret for mum and dad and do all of that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, my sister, my older sister probably did more of that, but I, yeah, also did that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Fantastic. And also worked in the family business. So mum and dad had a dry cleaning shop. So um, I used to also work in the dry cleaning business from about the age of 12, you know, serve customers. And so I I learned my people skills very early. Wow. Yeah. Well, you've got great people skills. So um, (laughs) yeah, which look, to be honest, in my... (laughs) In my experience, um, with with not not all CEOs, um, not that I'm labelling you as just a CEO, but a lot of CEOs I've met in my time um, will either have one or the other. I find, but you you tend to really really have that real warmth about you. Um, so, leading yeah, because it's I mean CEO is a title. I think you know it's a title, and I think if you start to believe that that somehow makes you special or smarter or anything that's really concerning and I think that's why today in this this topic is so important as a woman who happens to be a CEO I really want to get that message across that um, first of all you know we've got to, I've got to engage with other young women and explain to them that anybody can do it and that the only reason why there aren't more more female CEOs is because we don't have as big an ego as a lot of the men who put themselves forward and often women will under um, undervalue their skills and their abilities and yes. you know it's really and and in terms of diversity as well I think you know if you can't see it you can't be it so for me I never thought of being a CEO it never occurred to me I didn't come from that kind of background those families I didn't have those networks I was terribly shy so it's really important to tell other young women from perhaps diverse backgrounds or you know from any background that you know it's it's really passion that'll get you there and, and self-belief wow but they've got to see it to be to to be it you've got to see it you've got to see other examples of other women and and there's no good being you know a really hoity-toity CEO who says yes well you know I always knew I was going to be a CEO because that's just rubbish and it's not helpful to other women and it's it's not the truth in my case anyway and, and I and I love that answer and I love that you're so real and raw about that because I'm sure that there's been other people who've lived that but when it's come when when they've come to putting that out into the world they don't they're not so vulnerable in sharing that um, and perhaps puts up a whole different perception for you know women who do aspire to that and think it's unattainable which is why I think what, what you share is so wonderful so so take us on a bit of your journey how did this happen so for, for listeners I've already given you a bit of an intro but Sue when I met Sue she had had just become the first female CEO of State Schools Relief who do some wonderful work. Um, but I'll let Sue explain that. So, so take us on some of your journey, Sue. Well, I guess the first thing is um, there was never a plan. <laughs> so um, I <laughs> yep. guess that's the, the, the first thing I'd like to get across. I never had a career plan. All I really, well, I knew that I had to go to university because that was, you know, a stipulation. My parents, you know, said you must go to university. It doesn't matter what you do, but you must go to university. Right. So that was, you know, that was about as far as I got. Um, I went to university. I actually wanted to do PR. So um, I decided that I was going to do PR because I met Wham um, a few years before that, which is the most exciting thing oh, that ever happened. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> in the course of meeting Wham, I had a lot to do with the PR, you know, uh, the PR person at the time. And I thought, what a great job. This is great. I'd love to do that. So I thought, I'm going to be a PR person. You know? that's, that's what I'm going to do. And so I actually applied for a PR course at RMIT. 
Wow. And you had to go to an interview, which I did. And I think I got through the interview and I'm pretty sure I would have got in, except my mum didn't understand what PR was. Mm-hmm. So she said, why don't you just go to uni and become a teacher? And so me, at the age of 17, I listened and changed my preferences. So I got into Melbourne Uni to do actually an arts degree, not even teach. I, didn't, I did an arts degree and then I did a dip ed. And then I couldn't get a teaching job. So Really? Um, yeah, there was no teaching jobs going in the 90s. I actually went and worked on the Shiseido cosmetic counter at Maya. Fantastic. Because I didn't want to be unemployed. Yeah, fantastic. And did you love that experience? Yeah, I did. I, I think I learned, um, you know, those sort of roles, I think you learn a lot. So I learned, um, I didn't, had never known how to sell anything. Um, and so, and I wasn't a salesperson. So I learned about relationships and building relationships and then um, how to sell by by building those relationships and never yeah. being I was never I was always very authentic as well so in the way that I did it so then I went and did buying in pharmacy in a group of pharmacies I became the cosmetics buyer for a group wow. of pharmacies um, so never using my degree and then and really all I really wanted to do was be a mother to be quite to be quite frank that was really my you know and I think a lot you know like a lot of women that's where <coughs> our focus you know often is like yes. I wanted to have a family I want to be a mum and I didn't really think about the rest too much uh, and as I was sort of heading towards that path of becoming, of, of getting married and I thought I probably should go back into teaching. That'd be a good thing to do at this point. And so I started to do um, emergency teaching on my days off, which is like a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And so I thought, right, this will be, this will be good. And, that, and I was asking teachers, you know, I was trying to get a feel for, you know, how I might, how that might work and would I fit in? And, you know, schools are quite an interesting environment. They're quite a sort of you know, a particular environment. So, you know, yes, I, they I are. <laughs> and I was quite a big picture person. So that was, you know, I wasn't sure if it was quite for me or not. And funnily enough, at that time, um, and I was, I was with an agency doing the relief teaching and the agency called me and said, look, we've got a job um, at a charity and it was the Red Cross Blood Service. They want someone who's got a teaching degree and a sales background. I mean, how many people would have that? Yeah. Uh, because your job would be to actually sell donating blood to teenagers. And I was like, this would be great this would be fantastic so that's what I did I went and worked for the Red Cross Blood Service for about seven years and I was the only person in the whole in it was a a particular program um youth donor program as it was called then and so I was a you know a one-man show I used to travel all around Victoria um visiting schools and talking about donating blood and I absolutely loved it it was amazing and that that was my next role so Never planned it. Um, it wasn't what I thought I'd be doing, but I just loved it. And then I was there for, I had my two children. I had two boys. And then I split up, my marriage split up. And I thought, right, I better um, I better do something now. I actually need to be earning more money and I need to have a plan, a little bit of a plan. And, <laughs> and so at that point, I thought, right, hmm, I've been here probably a little bit too long and there's no plan, but I've got to make it look like there was a plan. So I went and did a mm-hmm. master's in youth health and education management. Wow. With, with two young kids. With two kids. Wow. Yeah, two and one. And, and so I started to do that and um, I thought at least then it would look like there was a, there was a plan where there was none. Mm-hmm. So I did my master's and then I got offered a job at Trinity College, University of Melbourne, running their young leaders programs. Mm-hmm. So that was the next step. Um, and then I worked my way, you know, I was there for another seven years. I loved it because it was a, it was a role where the idea was to bring uh, international students to the university or to the college campus, which is on the University of Melbourne, um, and show them what university like life would be like. So it was like a taster program. So they came across wow. for two weeks and then they could see if they wanted to study in 
Australia. So it was really a marketing program because, you know, the idea was that they'd come into a foundation course at mm-hmm. Trinity College and then go to the University of Melbourne. So right. I also travelled overseas for that. I travelled to Southeast Asia every year. It was great fun. Amazing. Um, but what I did is change the programs around. So really when I started, it was for privileged um, people, privileged young people from overseas. And I started to bring kids in on scholarships from really low socioeconomic areas. Oh, fantastic. And a lot of these kids on scholarship. And so this program that had been for these quite privileged kids became this melting pot. It was amazing. It was just amazing. And they learnt so much from each other. And the kids that came from underprivileged backgrounds, I think what they realised was actually when you get kids together, it doesn't, they don't really care. They just relate as young people. And um, it was just amazing, some of those connections. And they connected and they went and visited each other overseas. And it was just fantastic. And then from there, um, I went to Monash College. I was the Associate Director of Student Services. I thought oh, I need wow. to go to a bigger place and manage a few more people and, and sort of get that experience. And then from there, I thought I'm actually missing the helping underprivileged kids. Mm-hmm. And this role actually, I was actually called about this role. I thought, this sounds amazing. And um, it was just meant to be, I think. I was meant to be where I am today. It was just the role for me. It was so, just, you know, being able to supply young wow. kids who don't have a lot with, you know, everything that they need, be it uniform, school shoes, or um, in the last two years, we've done laptops and internet dongles. Wow. Um, and knowing that you're making such a difference is is so rewarding. And so, yeah, that's how I've ended up. Never really had a plan to be a CEO. But when I was at Monash College, I was driving in the car with my son, who was probably about, I don't know, 14 at the time or 15. And he said, I said, oh, Nick, what am I going to do next? And he said, well, mum, you're obviously going to be a CEO. And I was like, what? What do you mean? He goes, well, it's just the obvious next step. And it was quite funny because I think he planted the seed as well a little bit in my head. I was like, oh, Isn't okay. that amazing? <laughs> he was quite an insightful young man at the time. So, yeah, but I never really planned or thought that I could be or, yeah, it was just sort of what happened along the way. That, that That's a really, um, I really love hearing your story and just how transparent and open you are about, you know, not having a plan and kind of, and, and, and it is, you know, like we've all taken steps in our career in directions we thought we were going to go and then suddenly like life has a completely different plan for you and you kind of, it's like you have one plan but you know, I always say God or the universe has another plan and tries to steer you back to really where you're meant to be going. Um, but that is just amazing. Um, and, and your son pointed out that, you know, your next your next step was going to be a CEO. That's amazing. That's what he thought. And it was, it was funny because I guess, you know, probably in the back of my mind after he said that, I probably started to look and I did, I mean, you know, I did kind of start to look at those roles and I applied for one role and I didn't get it. But what happened was that, um, they kept my resume on file and then this role came up. They thought I'd be perfect for this role. So, you know, there was a, it was just meant to be. And, you know, when things are meant to be, they just happen seamlessly. So I got the phone call. It just all happened almost effortlessly. Yeah. Quite amazing. And it, and it has to, and I guess it really does. I mean, we probably hear it all the time, but it does have to align with with who you are. Like you said, you're very values driven. So you obviously, everything that you do in, in your life, including your career is all about values. It's not about like money is not the number one driver. And I can personally relate to that. Money is not my number one driver either. Um, so can you speak to us a bit about that? So, so for, for people who may be listening, like how do you identify your values in terms of your like in terms of your career? Like what, what where where do you start? I think you, you, the values come before 
the career in terms of mm-hmm. I think you're just born with with for me uh, I remember as a young um, as a young person at school I remember so justice has always been a really big value for me right. and I remember um, and I, I was really shy like terribly shy but I remember there was that one situation in the classroom where um, I felt that the teacher was being unjust towards a particular student and I just sort of stood up all of a sudden and advocated for the student because I was I felt so strongly that this was wrong wow. so I've always had this justice um helping those you know that that sort of helping and that justice has always run through everything from a young age from a student even so I think that's always been part of my DNA and so for me to the thing the thing is for me to actually do good work I need to be really engaged and really believe in what I'm doing so somebody could offer me half a million dollars Mm -hmm. uh, and to be selling something and I can't I just could not do it and I wouldn't be good at that role um, so I, have, I was offered a role, for example, back in the day um, to become um, selling um, pharmaceuticals. Right. And the pay, like, compared to what I, and I was working in pharmacy at the time. So, you know, I wasn't paid a lot of money and I just couldn't do it. I just thought, I don't think that's me. I can't go and sell something like that, even though the money would be great. I just, it just didn't spark that fire within me. So for me to go to work and do, to do a good job and to have ideas and to be passionate about it, I've really got to believe in what, what it is that we're doing there's got to be purpose and so that's where I think it's come from from a young age I guess and, and my, my upbringing and seeing you know perhaps seeing my parents um you know being victims of racism and, and, and having experienced a bit of that myself there's a bit of that justice and social justice and um as you said kind of you know not being from from the privileged part you know not having grown up around privileged it's all about that sort of yeah social justice is is a big value yeah for me so I think it's come from there. So career just followed from there. Although I guess, you know, selling cosmetics, you might say, well, that wasn't. But I mean, I just needed a job and I was straight out of uni. So that was that. But I mean, when I chose my my career roles, they were always about what I was doing. So for example, um, you know, working for the Red Cross and speaking to um, young people about donating blood, that felt really good because I knew that we needed blood and, we, you know, nothing has changed. Um, you know, we still need blood to help people who, who are going through cancer and autoimmune yeah. diseases all of that people think it's just car accidents but it's actually not there's a lot more to it a lot you know so if I felt I was making a difference in, in any small way that seemed really really valuable to me so I love doing that role so um, you know going to Trinity and then turning those um, you know those programs around and bringing in underprivileged kids who then went I, I can do this because if they don't see a university if they're an Indigenous um, student or another student from an, an area where they've never had a family member go to university for example and in their mind, they're like, well, I don't even know what university is. But then you bring them onto the campus and they go, oh, right. Yeah, this is great. This is actually fun. Yeah. Um, and then they can aspire to that. That's really, really important to me. So that I could see the difference that those programs were making. So I was really willing to work hard and do whatever. And it was never, they were never highly paid roles. So it was never about the money for me. But then what happens is you, you kind of work your way up. You end up, you know, it's just the next logical step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess. That's amazing. That's a, yeah, and it, it's so true to who who you are as a person. Um, and and for those listening, 
Um, I mean, becoming a CEO, sometimes that title can be really scary um, for people who may want to aspire to do more in their life. Maybe they don't quite know what that is, but sometimes just hearing that word CEO, it's suddenly like, oh my gosh, right. And that's really <laughs> scary. So for yourself, Sue, and you've done some amazing work along the way, like what, what you've done with, with Trinity College, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, you're a true humanitarian at heart. You really are. Yeah. Um, so for yourself though, in your experience, when you, um, I guess when your son really planted that seed or for anyone listening who might have those aspirations, but thinks, oh no, I could never be a CEO. That that's way too prestigious for me. Do you think that's part of the mindset too? Was that part of your mindset? Yeah, it was, it never occurred to me. And so, yeah, it never occurred to me. And so I I think what happened and because I was kind of in roles where I was autonomous, I never really, I just, I just did my own thing and I didn't have that kind of opportunity to, I guess, to witness other female leaders. I did it to some degree, but I guess when I went to my, when I went to one particular role and I won't mention which one, um, which was a much bigger role and lots, Mm -hmm. there were, uh, much larger staff volumes and I started to look around at female leaders and I was trying to identify what they have that I don't have mm-hmm. and, and I mean there was obviously there's great variance between you know women and leaders and all sorts of pe- and people in general but um, I started to look around and I thought well I could do that actually I could do that they're not that different to, to you know to me so actually as I went up the ladder I got the opportunity because you know often when you're in a when you're not in management or you're not mm. at that level, mm-hmm. you don't actually see what they do and what they're like. So yes. yeah, I that's true. Up close and personal and seeing, you know, how these leaders behaved. And sometimes it wasn't all that great. Yes. I was like, what? right, I see. I could do that. I actually could do that. I do have, you know, I think I could, I could do that. Yeah. So I started to realize that they're not, I actually thought that they were these superhuman people. And I remember when, you know, someone new was starting to be like, oh, I can't wait. I want to, I want to learn from this person. You know, she must be amazing or he, or, and sometimes they were, but sometimes they weren't actually. And that was in a funny way, inspiring for me. Cause I was like, okay, so not everyone's brilliant and not everyone's, you know, so different to me or, you know, it's something that you can aspire to. Yeah, absolutely. It's really just honing your skills. It's really, I mean, being a CEO is really just being a manager. It's just being a generalist manager and being able to keep everything running, you know. It's not, you don't need, you know, any superhuman skills. You just need to be good at, you know, managing people is a big one, I guess, and having a vision and bringing people along on the vision. And, yeah, I really think that, you know, it's, we, we need a lot more females doing it, though. That's for sure. Absolutely, we do. Um, and I think sometimes with um, with female leaders, I know some of the messaging I got when I did work in the corporate world is that you, ha- you had to be almost a little bit cutthroat to kind of work your way up and you had to be a certain, you had to, you had to almost have, <laughs> I don't know if it's just in the corporate world, but you almost had to have like a certain level of like not aggression, but something similar to that to really succeed. You know, you've got to be abrupt. You have to separate. You can't, you can't be too nice. I used to get that a lot. You can't be yeah. too nice, Beck, just too nice. And I just don't agree yeah. with that. I mean, and I think your your proof that that is so not true. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I've never agreed with that. And I've also, you know, people go, you've got your work persona. And I'm like, I actually don't have a work persona. I only have, I can't be a different me, a different version of me. The, the version of me that I have, a, that I bring to work, is the same me that I'm a mum at home or, you know, the same qualities, like it's no different. So, well, I know maybe some other people can do that, but I, I certainly couldn't. So the person that I am is who I am. 
Um, and, you know, it comes with, you know, it, it has its, its pros and cons, I suppose, but I don't know how to do it any other way. So, and I think that more recently, people like Jacinda Ardern, I just think what a fantastic example of a leader she is. And if she can be kind and, and show empathy, you know, women, we have to do it our own way and, and not emulate men. I mean, that it's and that's probably what I did see that I didn't like in right. this particular workplace was that the, the, some of those female leaders were, were, were just emulating the male leadership style. And not all males are the same either. I don't mm -hmm. want to say that. But I'm just, what I'm saying is what you were alluding to, kind of being this aggressive and, you know, feeling like being powerful equal, you know, equals being aggressive or, you know, it's actually... And I suppose, in, and I look, granted, I'm not in a corporate role. I'm, I'm in a not-for-profit, so mm -hmm. I can be a little bit different. But I, I think you can be kind and you can show empathy and you can still be a very good, strong leader. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So, yeah, I love that. And it, it's funny, I actually remember when I was working, um, when, when I met you, the role that I was in when I met you, and I remember I was actually going out to see another CEO of a, of a big logistics company and I remember feeling really nervous and I had one of those moments of like, oh, my God, like what, what, you know, I was just feeling really intimidated and I remember thinking, God, how did I get here? How did I end up in a role where I'm going to visit this this, you know, man, oh my God. And I remember feeling just really like, oh my God, I was just really nervous. And I remember, I, I, you know, I went in and I met him and he was really lovely. And we sat down and we just started talking as people. Like when we got in there and started talking, all the titles and all that kind of left my mind. And he started sharing a little bit of his journey with me because I always ended up having conversations like this, hence why I now have a podcast. And um, <laughs> I remember he said to me, he was sharing his journey and he said to me, he said, you know, Rebecca, he said, you know what? He goes, I actually don't know how I've ended up in this position. And when he said that to me, I had one of those moments, you know, when you're kind of listening, but you, you kind of get this slap across your face and it kind of jolts you awake and you really start listening. That's yeah. how I felt when he said that to me. And I thought to myself, you know what? It's not just people who we look up to who have feelings of insecurity. Like it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a CEO, whether you're, you know, not that there's any, I'm not that I'm degrading cleaners or any, like we all have our insecurities. Like we all, it doesn't matter who you are. Like we're all people Absolutely. at the end of the day and it's just titles. So yeah, I never, ever forgot that. Absolutely. And I'm a huge introvert and people, you know, I think people think it's funny, but I actually am a huge introvert and that doesn't go with being a CEO, but I actually am. I'm, you know, I actually really don't like, you know, being front facing and being in the public, you know, like if I have to do that, it's, it's not a comfortable spot for me to be. It's just what, but it's what I have to do sometimes yeah. and I'm fine with that, but it doesn't come naturally. So really, think, you know, yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. Well, you do it so well and you must hide that very well because I, 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 I don't, um, I mean, you're a very humble, gracious person, but um, it doesn't come across like it's uncomfortable for you. However, I do, I think I remember, I think when we, when we, when I met you, I think I had said, oh, you know, do you do any public speaking anywhere? And you, at the time you had said, no, I'm going to do that because I really like doing things out of my comfort zone. I do remember you saying that to me. So um, is that an important part? Like when you're obviously, I mean, I know you didn't intentionally set out to, you know, be doing what you're doing. And I love the fact that you share your journey the way you do, but how important is it? You know, I think just in life in general to be pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah, it is really important. So I have a little, a little life rule that if something is offered to me, you know, it, I don't say no. So that's how I do it. So if I get asked to do a podcast, I never say no, I always say yes. Um, if I get asked to speak at something, um, you know, I do. 
and it's really uncomfortable and you know people around me know that I'm nervous and but I never say no because that's a growth opportunity so yeah absolutely it's um you've got to and I mean you know you say I seem quite comfortable but I guess I've I've had to do it a lot in order mm -hmm. to get to that comfortable place right, and I okay. had to do it um, with my Red Cross role I had to I remember I started um and within the week I had to go and present at an assembly at a private school and it was huge and you know it was really formal and I had to march up behind the principal oh my and I was shaking I was literally shaking and I felt at the same time I felt like I was back at school because that was the last time I'd been in an assembly I, I felt like I was 16 and I was terrified and I got up to the microphone and I think I did such a terrible job and it took me a little while and then by the end of that role I was just you know it didn't matter if the equipment wasn't working back then you know we used to have our projector and our you know by the end of it, it didn't matter. I could add lead, but that, that took, you know, it took some time and practice. So I think, yeah, definitely you've got to try to challenge yourself to get out of your comfort zone. And yeah, I still do that in, in many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, just when you were saying that I was having a flashback, um, the role that I was recently in um, um, was set in in, in the, in the um, school sector and I myself um, had to uh, be at, a, at a, an assembly and I have a gorgeous, gorgeous um, boss. I don't call him a boss. I call him a leader. Um, and he, he he actually stepped in because he knew I was so nervous. So I, I can relate to that nerves. But I remember just standing up there, you know, in front of, you know, all these young people. And I just was not able, <laughs> I was just not able to, to speak. I thought, oh, my God. And it was, so it was like being back in high school. I thought, oh, my God, like I'm just, I was up there kind of shaking. And then my beautiful leader came in and he just did such an amazing job. But I think, as you said, Sue, those things take, they take years. Like we, we see a moment of someone who's able to get up there and master it. But obviously that's taken, you know, a long, a long time. Yeah. And the irony was then I was really comfortable. And I love, I've always loved young people. So even when they were, because they try to shock you, you know, like I go in to talk to some students and they'd say, <laughs> you know, they'd have questions at the end about donating blood. And there's a whole lot of reasons why you can't donate blood. And they'd say, what about if you've had sex? My God, no, sex is fine. You know, and they, they'd be looking for shock. And by the end of it, they couldn't shock me. What if you've got a tattoo in some strange place? I go, not a problem. You know, so I was fine with it. And I, and I actually found them really funny and heartwarming. And, you know, if they were being a little bit challenging, I'd pop on this video, which was taken in um, the Sydney uh, Cancer Ward of, of children in the oh, Cancer Ward. Clever. And how they were thanking blood donors. And I tell you what, there's no young person that saw that video that didn't put their hand up to donate. They'd, come, they'd be coming in swarms to South Melbourne to donate blood. You know, they were just, so even, you know, I just think young people are so beautiful and giving. And so I love talking to them. But then what I found when I went to another role was talking to adults just terrified me. <laughs> like being, having to address a room of adults, I just couldn't yeah. do it. It was it was mortifying to me. So yeah. that was the next challenge. So yeah, there's oh, always been wow. those challenges. Um, just, I know I'm digressing a bit, but really quickly on young people, I know that's one of your main values um, is young people. And obviously you have children of your own. And, you know, I never, ever thought in my wild dreams that I would be, um, you know, in a position where I was working with young people, but I have to say it was the greatest honor of my life. And for anyone who says that, you know, you know, young people are this and young people are that, you need to actually go and be in their environment and work with them and, you know, and spend some time with them and speak to them um, like, like people, like people. Um, they, I learned so much from, from young people. Um, did, did you? Yeah. Uh, that is sentiment that you've expressed is exactly how I felt and why I stayed in roles for so long, because I always say to people, I, I got as much out of it 
as they do, if not yeah. more. I get so much out of it. Being around young people keeps you young because they're funny and they're just, you know, everything everything about them is so, it just, it's inspiring and it's challenging. And But, I, you know, I've always loved the company of young people. I love hearing what they say. I love, I just, yeah. I mean, when I worked at Trinity, I so the role, I was, so I was also a mum at the time of, you know, they were quite young, maybe three and four. I can't remember how old exactly. But I had to live on campus. So my role was oh, wow. promoting the Young Leaders programs, which meant travelling to Southeast Asia. I was a one-man show. So I travelled to Southeast Asia, do four or five school visits a day for two weeks. This is in Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, uh, Vietnam. Oh so I was promoting gosh. the programs. And then I would come back. And then when the programs were running, which was twice a year in, in July in the school holidays, and December I would live on campus for two weeks and so I was kind of like then I became like the principal during those two weeks I was kind of all you know anyway with a group of, of student mentors so I got really close to the student mentors who were university students and we'd get together and every morning and discuss what was going on and there was always <laughs> stuff going on I mean you know some of it was terrible some of it was you know we had some yeah. real issues that happened mm-hmm. mental health issues mm-hmm. um, you know um, injuries you know accidents all sorts of things um, but you know, I really got to see what it was like and, and working with young people so closely was, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And young people from all around the world, it was just amazing. And they would teach each other their languages and, you know, they were so giving and so generous and, you know, they fell in love and then we had to split them up. I was going to one side of the globe. You just saw every, all of it and it's, it was just wonderful. I loved it or else I wouldn't have stayed there for seven years. It was, yeah, I found young people to be, they just gave you reason to to come to work every day in a way that, you know, doing other things would not inspire me. Hence why I can't, why, you know, there aren't many roles that I would take because well, I went for a fundraising role. I was like, I'm just not really interested in that. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't excite me, but young people, I just find them really inspiring and they're our future. And just seeing the way that they, the ideas they came up with and, you know, how they related to one another. And I thought if we can get these young people from all around the world making these connections perhaps in the future they can kind of solve the problems you know working together to solve climate issues or whatever the other issues are but you know young people are kind of the key to the future so I think it's it's always a really great privilege to work with them yeah absolutely so yeah I I couldn't agree more I think you're absolutely right and I I really found that um I really had a bit of a soft spot even for some of the naughty ones I really yeah I really (laughs) I don't know why because some of them were a little bit cheeky but I'm a, I'm a bit of a softy and I just remember thinking like oh yeah you're a bit naughty but I don't know why I find that so endearing but I did yeah I did too actually did I, thought that was yeah, I did I absolutely did I remember when I was um doing emergency teaching and um I, one of the kids said oh miss I don't have a book and I said here's yeah, my book and they he opened it up and he had my name and I was like oh her name's Sue her name's Sue and they were just being all really silly and they, I just found them so funny you know they were just they're quite funny and they're little jokes and you know they are endearing and um you know the ones that they, they always said oh you've got the vcal kids like they were really naughty they, they were great they were just oh. you know i don't see those labels i think we label kids sometimes and it's so wrong yeah and having a child who's just he's turned 18 and he's gone off to do an electrical apprenticeship and he's just so you know he's so bright and so smart and sometimes at schools they kind of label the vcal kids as being you know less smart they're not they're just they're just hands-on learners they're just different they're not you know I think we've got to be really careful how we how we treat our young people and not to um, label them that way 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And I didn't understand that until I actually worked in the school system myself because I I had no idea. Like I went to school and finished school, but, you know, it's very different when you come back as an adult and you're then working in that system. And I had no idea of how it worked and it was such a shock to the system you know, um, it's, 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 it's a different world you're working in, like when you, when you're in a, in a school. Um, but yeah, it just, those kids, I, I just, you know, I kind of looked at them and I thought, God, when I was that age, I didn't have what they have. Like I didn't have, like, I find that a lot of the kids today, they're so smart. They're so smart and so capable. Um, And, you know, I know people say, oh, kids these days are rude. No, no, they're not. And I like the fact that some of these kids challenge things. I actually think that's really important. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I, um, I I relate to everything that you're, that you're (laughs) you're saying. I think, yeah, it's been a great honor to work with them. I think they're just savvy. They're very savvy and they've just got um, resources at their fingertips that we didn't have. So our only source of information was for me, was Dolly Magazine. I couldn't ask my mum and dad anything. So um, you know, where else did we get our information from? That but is so kids, true. They've got everything at their fingertips. So my kids, and hence, you have to have a different relationship as a mother, as a teacher, as in, in whoever works with young people, children and young people, you have to approach them differently because, I mean, my kids don't need me for knowledge. They've, they've got everything, you know, their phone at their, at their fingertips. They can find anything they want to. That's such so, a good point. You've got to relate to them on a, on a different level and mm. they've got to come to you because they want to. So I'd like to think that my kids come to me and, and confide in me because they think they, you know, they feel comfortable too in a way that I didn't feel comfortable. My parents, I never told them anything because yeah. I didn't think I could. Um, That's so, right. Yeah, I think it's really different these days as a parent as well. Oh, so you've brought up such that. That's actually very, that that's a really really important thing you just said oh, we used to do the same with the dolly magazines were like a bit of a holy grail because um you know we whipped them out at recess and um any questions that were a bit you know kind of risky to ask and, and you know we didn't talk to our parents like it was just it, oh. you didn't so you oh. pulled out the dolly magazine you sat you sat around in a group and discussed it and had a bit of a laugh that is so true and I went to my sister, I went to my older sister and we kind of worked things out together, but there was no way you could tell your mum and dad or ask them or, you know, there was no way. So yeah, it was, yeah, it's, it's, and now I look at my son, even my younger one, who's um, 16, he's just so knowing, he's just so mature in, in a way, you know, in ways that I never was, I guess. Yeah. And I find even, I'm um, like, you touched on and said that you were really shy. So you said that you were really shy growing up. I was, I was terribly shy. So I think, um, Coming from my family background, my parents never really praised me. So I didn't really, I didn't have any sort of that, like, and, you know, why I say that, and not in a critical way, they they were really loving parents. They just wasn't, there just wasn't their style. Yes. um, In a way that I sort of praise my kids and tell them they're smart. So I didn't actually ever think I was smart. Um, So even when I did attain at school, so my parents tell my mum now, my dad's not alive still tells the story of when um, she went to the valedictory dinner at my school and I got ducks to the school for humanities and she was so shocked because we just did not expect it from you. We expected it from your sister, but not from you. <laughs> so that was how, you know, it was never like, oh, you're really smart. So I never, and I know I'm not saying this for, I honestly never thought I was smart. I never, and it was actually took a many, I, I thought I was actually really not very smart at all and not very good at a lot of things and I wasn't yeah. good at admin or the mm-hmm. I'm not a details person so because I wasn't am I. I, thought I, I was smart right I was like I must be dumb then I can't do <laughs> spreadsheets I'm not very good at this kind of you know admin stuff 
And then it took a manager to say to me, you're actually a big picture person. I was like, oh, right. She's like, and she told, she spoke about me in a language that I was like, is she talking about me? And she spoke really glowingly about me. She was the first and only female manager that I've had or manager in that, for that matter who actually spoke about me and spoke to and really encouraged and championed me in a way that nobody has ever done in my whole life. And so for, I'm forever grateful because if somebody doesn't do that for you, you can't do that for yourself. You know, like she actually opened doors for me and she, she talked, she'd go and talk to everyone. Sue is amazing. And she I was like, what? what is she talking about? But, you know, she did that for me. And, and I think she made me see myself in a whole different light. And that was quite late in life, actually. Wow. That's a, that that's amazing. And I, I can relate to everything that, that you're saying, especially with, and this is where I think parenting has changed um, because I think, you know, and as you said, I don't think it's that our parents didn't love us or didn't see the good in us, but it was almost like, um, yeah, they just, uh, they had real trouble expressing that. They had real trouble, um, you know, praising you. Whereas I think parenting these days is completely different. I don't have kids yet, but I, I can imagine you with your boys. So I'm sure that you always acknowledge um, when they've done something really fantastic and and, all, and have belief in them, belief that they can actually do it. Belief and also um, empowering them to do, to be the best version of themselves. And that doesn't mean they've got to go and do be a doctor. Like, with, you know, with us, it's kind of got to go to uni and be other, you know, these are the things that you can be. Yeah. Um, it's about actually saying to them, if you want to be an electrician or if you want to be whatever, that's fantastic. And you're really clever and, you know, and I'm going to support you all the way. And I think, those messages, I mean, my boys are so confident. They're, they're super confident, you know, and they're just not overly confident, but just super confident and really social. And I was really awkward, even, you know. Really? I, I blush red up from my neck right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, at uni, university, I found university really confronting and I wasn't, wow. I didn't go to any of the social things because I didn't feel like, you know, I just felt really awkward. So, you know, I guess it's, yeah, I, and so people often say to me, you don't have an ego. And I'm like, of course I don't have an ego. Why would I have an ego? You know, that would mean that you think you're fantastic. But, you know, why would you think that anyway? I don't really understand the thinking, to be honest with you, at all. Oh. I just think I'm lucky usually. I'm lucky that I've got this job. I'm really lucky that, <laughs> you know, that's how I know, people go, it's not luck. I go, well, I don't know, but I, I feel pretty lucky. And, you know, it's not because I'm special or I've got anything, you know. I just think it's just a bit of luck and a bit of, you know, landing where you're supposed to and I think I think and I think this is this is why um you know I think I always remembered you because you are so graciously humble um and I do remember meeting you and you have such an ability to um to, to build relationship with with people um and and it, w- it was one meeting that we met it was one it was one yeah, meeting it was. And I remember, um, you too. I remember you too, just the same way. See? Oh, dear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I just, yeah, I just always remember the, imp- the impact that, um, that, that you made, but you mentioned, um, you know, you obviously had someone who was able to point out those good things um, about you. Do, do you think that's really important for someone who, you know, who's, who's trying to figure out that, that that's obviously a big, that it's important to have I that. Do. I do, yeah. and hence now, now that I'm in a position where people do, for some reason, think having a CEO title is something, mm-hmm. if I can help other women, other young women, I'd love to do that. I'd love to be able to help mentor, um, let them see that, you know, the, the qualities that they do have, help to build up their confidence because if someone, if that person, my manager hadn't done that for me at the time, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. So it's about that language of, of you know, the narrative around yourself, which I didn't have. I didn't really understand. And she goes, and it's about the, the story you tell yourself. You know, it's about, you know, when you say, who are you? It's about 
how do you take your experience and actually turn that into a positive and um, talk about yourself in a way that is um, empowering? Yeah. So um, quickly, um, how, how did you start to do that? Like, how did you start to do that, Sue? Because you you became a single mum, and yeah. um, and you said, right, I need to earn more. Like that was just your. You were like, well, I, I just need I need to be in a position where I earn money. But you didn't you didn't sacrifice your values for the sake no. of money. Um, you knew that your values had to come first, and that you know the career and job had to come after that. So, you know, where did you start? You know, you were in a position, single mum with two kids. Like, where, where did you start? How did you start turning that around in that story? For yeah, yourself? so I think it was, again, I looked at education and I thought, right, I need to go back and um, build upon my education. Um, that was the first step. And, and partly it was for myself in terms of if I, have a, if I don't get a master's degree, well, then I must, you know, that looks like I'm, I'm smart, you know, like to the yeah. outside eye, you know, like mm. that will... It'll actually make me feel good because I've done this recently. I've got a master's, so I must be I must be good at something. So that was part of building up my own confidence um, and doing that. But also, it added to my to my resume and made it look like there was a plan. And and then I once I had the master's, in fact, I was just finishing my master's and I started to look for other roles. And that's when the, I saw the Trinity role and I was like, oh wow, do you think I could do that? I was like, that would be such an amazing role. I'll just apply. I'll just apply and see what happens. And um, <laughs> I did. And it wasn't a highly paid role at all. It was a lowly paid role at the time, actually. But I didn't care. I was like, just to have that experience. So I guess for me, it was all about the values led rather Mm -hmm. than I wasn't driven by the career ascension. It was more, if I got this role, it'd be fantastic. And so I always took those roles, actually, that some people found unappealing. So, you know, living on campus for two weeks and doing all of that, a lot of people wouldn't have wanted that, didn't no, want that role. In fact, everyone in the college go, I wouldn't want to do what you're doing, wrangling <laughs> 300 kids, you know. But to me, I thought it was fantastic. And I knew in the back of my mind, I did know that once I've done that, it will lead on to something else. Once I've done that, it was kind of building blocks. So take the first step. Don't worry about the salary. In fact, I said to myself, don't worry about the salary. It doesn't really matter right now. Yeah. Uh, but by the time I left there, my salary, because I'd done it, you know, I'd done well and I but built those programs up from not making any money to actually turning a profit Amazing. and having this fantastic manager. Um, she actually made sure that I did get paid more. So by the time I left, I was on a good salary. And so that was great. And so once you're on a particular, at a particular level on a particular, particular salary, you, you look at the next level, it's just a natural. So then I looked at the next role. And I was like, wow, that would be great. Associate director. Wow. That would be fantastic. And wow, it's more money. Great. You know, and so I just did it incrementally, but never really thinking of the end goal of, you know, I'm going to be a CEO. It was never that. It was just building on, you know, a bit more money, a bit more experience, a bit more this, but always about enjoying the role and, and doing what I loved. Yeah. That was the key, the key always. Amazing. Amazing. And I suppose sometimes even when you're going through, um, you know, when you're changing roles and you're, you know, you're, I guess you are moving into higher level roles, not, not intentionally, but because it's, you know, you're doing something that you love, I guess it, that experience, cause it's all life experience. It does start to, to change your mindset as well. And you, you start to discover new things about yourself. Yes, it does. And so, you know, when I, for example, before, um, by the end of the, the role at Trinity, I was looking after all of conferences, all events, all of the, you know, <laughs> programs. So my portfolio increased hugely, which meant that I was paid more, but I also got to go to these um, high-level meetings. And, and it's like you said, all of a sudden, you're like, I'm like, oh, I'm in this high-level meeting. Cool, you know, it's interesting. And so you know, initially you feel like you don't belong there, but then you do learn you, and you, you know, you're right, okay, well, they're not, you know, nobody's that different. And so you're right, your mindset changes and you do feel like you can actually add something. Initially, 
you know, you're nervous and you don't know what you're going to say or in meetings, you don't know what you've got to contribute. But then eventually you, you know, you start to get the confidence and you contribute and, you know, so yes, you're right. You do change your mindset. You change the way that you perceive yourself and even the language that you use when you, when you talk about yourself, you start to, um, you develop that for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even sometimes, Sue, it's, um, I remember when I came into the role that, that I, that I was just in and, um, everyone that I'd worked, I was working with on my, on a, it was a beautiful team, beautiful team, beautiful leader, as I've said. Um, and, um, I remember thinking that all come from, um, the education background and I hadn't, and I'm thinking like, you know, like, oh my God, it was kind of critical. What do I bring here? What I don't really, really not too sure what I bring, but, you know, feedback from the team was that well you know there's something else that you bring you know you we all bring something different and it doesn't have to be that you're really amazing and know everything about the education sector it could just be you know the person that you are um the way that you relate to people that that's also a skill as well and it's taken me a while to to grasp and understand that as well um but I yeah biggest skill. I think the people thing is the biggest skill because if I've had success along the way, it's not because it's just because I, I talk to people and I just tell them what I'm mm. doing or what I want to do. And they, if, if you're authentic and passionate, they see it. So I've, I've managed yeah. to get, you know, funds, money to do things that I've been wanting to do just because people can see that I'm truly passionate and they go, well, I'll support that. Great. But if you weren't passionate, if you weren't being authentic, if you, you were trying to be impressive, I don't try to be impressive. I just, I just speak from the heart. And as you said, if you can you connect do. with people, yeah. And sometimes it's just happened accidentally. I was speaking to one of the fathers at college and I didn't know he was in at Credit Suisse. He was a massive banker. And so he's like, oh, we'll find your program for three years. I was like, oh, wow. You know, so if you actually just take time to talk to people yes. and connect with them and no matter who it is. And, and as you said, I'm a big, I'm a big, advocate for I speak to I've got a great relationship with the cleaner he's coming to lunch next week with beautiful with yeah absolutely. to me I don't care and I've never cared about titles so no um, I was quite irreverent and I said I don't care who I don't care who anyone is to be quite frank if they're not nice I don't like them I don't care if they're there you know and then in fact when I was at Trinity College he was called the warden at the time and he was the head of the college and he was this very academic man and really well spoken and something happened to one of my programs and I was like, that's it. I'm going to go, have to go and have a word. I think I'm going to be doing some works outside where we're going to be doing this music program. And I was really mad. And so I was like, I'm just going to go and see him. And I was like, actually trying to get a meeting with him was almost impossible. I had to go through VA and finally got a meeting and I had to sit on a Chesterfield and I was like, oh. And I, anyway, he said, I told him I was really passionate. I'm not happy about this. And he said, at the end, we had a really good conversation. He was very intelligent and he said to me, thank you for knocking on my door. Not many do. So (laughs) I realized that sometimes you just have to, you just have to do things and, you know, not worry about, you know, I didn't really care that he was the head of the college. It's like, I just need to go and talk to, you know, someone and make this right. So I think, you know, I've always just been like that, you know, worried about, you know, I don't care about, you know, hence for me, a CEO title doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, you're oh, you're so beautiful. So yeah, and that that that's so true. And as you were talking to me, I was remembering um at one of the schools I worked at, they had the um, what was he like the caretaker? He'd been there for like twenty five years, and he was the most beautiful man I have ever come across in any of the schools that I was in. Every morning he would you know pop into the little office that I worked in, put the heater on, um you know he'd always stop and say hello. And it, you know you're right, t- titles that they really don't matter. Um, really don't. On a on a realistic note as well, um, 
you know, in, in any role, I think in any role that we have, there's always going to be parts of roles that we don't like or, or are perhaps, you know, not so strong in, i.e. admin or attention to detail. Um, that's something that we also have to encompass. Like we're not, and this is something like I always used to try and get across to students as well because um, I worked with them in, in, a, in a careers um, space was that we're not always going to love the job 100%, not every task that we do, I should say. So, you know, would you agree with that even at a higher level role that there are still going to be tasks that you just go, oh, yeah, this is not my thing. Absolutely. Like doing, you know, things like policies and, um, you know, even the people management, you know, when it get, when things get really, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. messy, I'm the one that has to deal with them. Or yeah. um, really, ultimately, there's just this huge sense of responsibility because if something goes wrong, I'm, you know, really, I'm responsible. For You're it. right. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. There's parts that I really don't like doing um but there's overwhelmingly it's this stuff that I do love doing but you know there are days when I go oh really I've got to do you know these meetings really you know (laughs) or sometimes it's just things that you hadn't foreseen that just you know or just sometimes it's sad things or terrible things that happen to staff or yeah just um but yeah often yeah often it's it's not always fun that's for sure yeah but you just do it but yeah but again I think that's where the the passion and the values come in because if you believe in what you're doing it's a means to an end you're still making a difference in the end you're getting to where you need to go and you're doing what you believe in overall it's just that not every part of it is fun yeah yeah absolutely absolutely if you're not if you didn't have the values you'd be going to a role where you just you just didn't want to do any of it and I think that's the danger and I think that's where sometimes people find themselves they're like what am I even doing here why am I here doing these long hours I don't really even know what you know like that they can't see what's at the end of it why they're doing it and so the values is a really key part of, you know, of what yeah. you do, of what I do. Yeah, which I think is really important and which is why I admire your journey so much is because I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people out there who are in roles that, you know, perhaps maybe pay the mortgage, pay the bills. You can kind of sort of live, you know, live, live quite, quite quite comfortably and, you know, get all the things that you need. But, you know, are you really getting everything you need because you're kind of walking away from that kind of just like, oh, it's just extracting from your energy. It's not really kind of giving you anything back. You know, right? And we've all had those roles where you get home (laughs) and you don't want to, you know, when you get up in the morning, you go, I don't want to go in. And that's a terrible feeling, you know. And so I think, you know, you always know when it's time to leave as well. It's another important thing. You've got to know when the right time to leave is. So when you start, you know, feeling less passionate or then you really need to go. And I just think sometimes I look around at people and think they really just need to go. Don't, if you don't love what you're doing, please go. Yeah, just go. Just go. Just go. And if the pandemic's taught us anything, it's that, you know, we've got to try and just, you know, live for the moment and be happy and be grateful. Yes. And so, and because we do spend so much time at work, if work's not that fulfilling for you, then you're better off going and finding what does fulfill you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so um, I think, I think you're just an, an amazing um, person, amazing human, despite whatever role that, that you're in. Um, I never forgot meeting you. Um and I just think you're such a gracious, humble person with with so much to share, and I, I genuinely mean that. Thank um, you so much. And yeah, I, I do, and I've just yeah, I've just always um, just always you know watched you from afar on LinkedIn. The beautiful work that you do with State Schools Relief for anyone listening, please jump on, t- take a look at what they do. You know, 
um, I, I didn't realize myself, you know, living in a, in a, in a privileged country that there are still a lot of people who, um, and especially students who live below the poverty line that, you know, sometimes coming to school, if they're having, if there's a breakfast club at school, that's the only meal that they'll get throughout the whole day. Um, and some of them are doing it really, really tough. And me personally, I, I did, I wasn't aware to that, to that degree. I had no idea. So I think the work that, that, um, that state schools relief does is, is brilliant. It's, um, it's brilliant but it's yeah. rewarding to itself like really yes. the last two years where it's been a real struggle I think what's kept us going here at Spet Schools Relief is knowing that we're making such a difference and the letters of thanks that we got you know kids who are trying to do their online learning from a, a mobile phone with a broken screen and no data mm. and you just think and that poor mother you know trying to I mean how do you do that I mean my kids had everything and they, they weren't engaging with online learning because it was <laughs> so hard yeah even with all of their you know wonderful tools so that for those poor kids that had nothing or were homeless or living in a caravan and you just think wow you know we are so privileged and and to be able to make a small difference in the lives of those young people is really it's it just warms your heart and it makes it really is easy to come to work and do that and, yeah. and it's a privilege actually it's a good reminder yeah thank you it so is. much so thank you thank so you much <laughs> so just quickly before you go I always love to end with this question so where, where, where are you at today and in life and I'm sure that you know that's an evolving question but currently in life where are you as a person I'm at um yeah I'm at a I think I'm in a really good spot um coming out of lockdown and, and kind of looking forward and thinking about next year and all the, you know, the possibilities for both work and, and personal, you know, adventures, hopefully heading over overseas and oh, well done. Uh, being Fantastic. my kids blossom. But but really, and having a bit of the colour and life back in life, you know, being able yeah. to go out and, you know, and see a show or go out for a nice dinner. It's just, I feel really privileged and grateful for everything that I have. And um, personally, I'm, I think as I get older, one of the benefits is lots of, there's lots of downsides to getting older, but one of the benefits is that you do develop your confidence. And so I'm probably more confident that I've been um, and I feel more sure of myself. And that's a nice thing. So, yeah, I'm in a good spot, Beck. <laughs> I'm really happy to hear that. And so you should be because you're such a wonderful one. I know I keep saying it, but you really are. Like I think anyone who would meet you would agree. I think you're just such a very gracious, very humble. And anyone who listened to this podcast, I know that, that they will agree. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for giving your time when you're so busy. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. I, Thank what a great conversation thanks beck you've been really you've reminded me of things that i've forgotten about it's been really fun. thank you <laughs> well, thank you so much thanks, so much. really appreciate okay. it bye, bye.